to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I'm so grateful that you tuned in. This week's episode features Diana Brissetto. She's the CEO of No BS Skincare. We recorded her episode via Zoom since we are all work from home. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Carissa Bodner. She's the founder and CEO at Thrive Cosmetics. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, I am very excited. This is our second ever Zoom podcast recording. So thank you for being um, flexible with us. I'd like to welcome Diana Briseno. She is the founder of No BS Skincare. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. Hi, Jody. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. Um, we, you know, this is a very interesting time because when we first talked, um, it was before coronavirus uh, was a part of our um, life and business world. And now many things have changed. Um, but I would like to start off with a question that's um, in line with the, the reason why our fans listen to the show, which is to learn about um, the journeys of our guests. So, um, Diana, uh, when you when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a dolphin trainer, <laughs> actually. But that was before I learned um, the cruelty that's behind uh, a lot of the, the sea aquariums and stuff like that. I just uh, loved dolphins, and I thought that would be a really, really fun uh, job to hang out with dolphins. Uh, obviously, yes, I grew up and realized that it wasn't, you know, a, a great idea because of the captivity conditions and all of that, that I now consider to be very wrong. Well, um, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, COVID and how your company is responding later. But if we can um, start at the beginning, because you did not go to school to be um, a dolphin trainer. <laughs> you went to school to be an industrial engineer. So tell us how that happened. Yeah, so um, I remember when I was in high school, I, I was really confused about uh, what I wanted to do in college. Uh, and I come uh, from a family of engineers. My mom is a civil engineer, and so, this, so is my dad. My older brother is an industrial engineer too. And, and I remember obviously, you know, being highly influenced by the fact that they believe, and I do now too, that engineering is a great um, career that teaches you how to think analytically. So beyond the specificity of like, you know, the industrial process, or if you're a civil engineer building something, the amount of, I guess, uh, rational thinking with all of the math and physics that you get to uh, study just opens up your, your brain for analytical thinking. And, 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 and that's what it ended up, you know, being for me. I mean, I, I actually only worked as an industrial engineer very, very briefly on a couple of internships and that was it. <laughs> but, but I do think that, that it helped me in the way I approach problems and, 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 and think analytically in, in general. So, I mean, it was a, it was a hard choice because it's a, it's a lot of studying and, and, you know, sleepless nights, but I think overall I'm happy with it. It's also a very flexible career. It allows you to, to work in so many fields. So, so I'm happy that I, that I actually uh, did that. Well, you got a job at Procter & Gamble, so that's a pretty cool place to start your career. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, maybe, you know, I do believe on like the universe having a plan. So maybe that was it actually, because I remember when I was uh, uh, in, in college, it was uh, attending one of my regular classes. And one day they said, oh, we have these tests. And I thought it was a test for the class. So I went in, uh, you know, and did my test, and it was actually PNG going to recruit people at my university, and that was the 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 initial test that they do to, uh, you know, the first filter to rule out and and and, and consider, uh, you know, new interns. They were looking for interns at that moment, and and then when I got called in for an interview, I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was a PNG test, but it ended up working out, and and actually. When I started at PNG, it was my internship, um, you know, that I needed to graduate from college. And I was studying engineering for five years. I, I, I did that in Venezuela, which is where I'm originally from. And, and at that point, the career took uh, six years. We actually, it's a, it's a longer uh, process than here in the U.S. And, and I remember I said, I've been studying, you know, all these hardcore math and physics and chemistry for, for, for five years. And they offered me an internship in, in marketing. And I was like, you know, that's really weird. PNG had a big R&D facility in uh, Venezuela. So I ended up then doing a hybrid between R&D and marketing. And then I immediately fell in love with marketing and, and I basically changed career path right there. <laughs> so um, what were some of the brands you got to work on at your time there? Uh, I started working on the feminine care category for Always Tampax and, a, and another feminine care brand called Naturela that's for uh, Latin America. And it's also in a developing markets. We launched it in China and in a couple more Asian markets. Well, um, what does it mean to be an industrial engineer on tampons? What, what, is, what is that job? Well, if you really, I, I went uh, into marketing pretty fast, but if you really want to stick to the engineering path, there's a lot of exciting things that you could do well uh, on the tampons category. So you can work at the manufacturing facility, you know, mostly coordinating like the productivity of it and the supply chain and the quality of the products. And, and it's always about how to optimize the processes. You could work in the R&D lab to develop and innovate on the product. How can you make it more what consumer wants? If they want more absorbency or more comfort or more, I don't know, slimmer or a better material that's uh, more sustainable or something like that. That's where they're always um, working on. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, I still love that side of my, I guess, background. So even nowadays, I really enjoy like go to, going to the lab and going to the plant and seeing how the product is, is, is made and how can we make it better? And what if we tweak this and, and, and doing some of the quality tests myself? I still have that kind of like geek in me that drives when I'm in a like a plant environment and get to wear a lab coat and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it sounds really cool. So um, after PNG, you had a got a role in Prestige Fragrance. Yeah, well, that's within PNG. So I spent eight years of my life at PNG, and I moved countries and brands every two years. So I started in Venezuela, then I went to Chile in South America, then I came to the US and then I went to Geneva in Switzerland. Uh, the two of my last roles at PNG were in the prestige division. Uh, that part of the, of the company called PNG Prestige was later, recently actually a couple of years ago, sold to Coty. But back then, 
Uh, it was pretty much a, an important big division within PNG with a headquarters in Geneva in Switzerland. And it was basically a group of uh, licensing brands like um, Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci, Lacoste, Hugo Boss, uh, Alexander McQueen and, and a number of other brands. And I specifically worked on developing the makeup and skincare for Dolce & Gabbana. That sounds like a fun project. It was really, really fun. It was uh, it was interesting too. It was challenging because I was kind of like the middle person in between the PNG team and the fashion house, and it's uh, complete opposite ways of of, of working together. Actually, um, the the fashion house pretty much very um, hierarchical. You know, Mr. Dolce and Mr. Gabbana are still there, pretty much alive and kicking, and obviously they they have a, a big say in, in what's going on. And then a PNG is more about you know a very structured process, and and it's more like the corporate America uh, way of working, whereas uh, the fashion house is a very Italian way of working. So I was always the middle person in between what the fashion house wanted to execute and what we were doing, uh, what we could do at PNG too. I mean, it's, it's, it's always hard to marry like the bright creative minds with what, you know, reality is when it's time to like really put together the product. But I think we did a pretty good job. I'm, I'm very proud about it. Well, um, how does all this lead to starting your own brand and becoming an entrepreneur? Well, it wasn't uh, straight away, but after after eight years at PNG, I I uh, realized that I you know I wanted to uh, do something different, and and even though I loved my time at PNG. Um, I wanted I wanted to work for a smaller company where I could uh, have more influence on the entire, you know process from A to C and, and the entire creation of, of a product or, or, you know, and selling and marketing it, right? A PNG is such a big organization that you have so many people taking care of like different uh, little pieces of the puzzle, but, but it's hardly, you know, you get a role where you get to influence everything. So, so with that uh, in mind, I first went to a telecommunications company and I got a global role there as VP of marketing, sorry, as marketing director. And I loved a lot about, you know, my time there because it was more focused on digital marketing and digi the digital world in general. So I worked in uh, relaunching that brand and, and it was the whole digital transformation happening uh, in lives of people when they acquire a, smart a smartphone. But I also quickly realized that I was really missing the beauty industry. So I then uh, went to work for a smaller makeup brand called Palladio Beauty that's uh, headquarters here in, in, in Hollywood, Florida, owned by a private equity group. So I I really enjoy that role and, and learned. I, that's where I really learned to to manage a brand from A to C because it was a really small, small team and it's a medium, small to medium sized company. So I got to do everything from like product development, quality control, marketing, a little bit of sales and, and, and business finance, like a bit of everything. I did that for two years and then I felt like I was ready to do something uh, by myself. I always wanted to do something. I always had that entrepreneurial mindset. In fact, when I was in college, 
I, I had my first business and it was a uh, swimsuit, swimsuit line that I did at home. So uh, it was uh, made to measure bikinis actually, pretty awesome. I started making it for myself and, and I had a, 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 an employee, at, uh, a person that was uh, actually sewing the, the swimsuits and everything. And then I started making it for my friends and it quickly became a thing. But unfortunately then with a PNG job taking a lot of my time, I, I left that behind. But I had that kind of like seed in me that I, I really enjoyed making something from scratch for myself. So after Palladio, um, I met uh, Volta Global, which is the, the financial group that, that is behind No BS. And then jointly, we started uh, uh, No BS, and it's been two years. Actually, we're celebrating the second uh, birthday for oh, No BS Kinker. Today? Yes. That's so exciting. Happy birthday. Thank you. We're launching a pretty sweet um birthday celebration offer and promotion in our website today. That's so great. Well, um, you know, no BS is so interesting to me because I've been seen in, in a lot of places, right? Like I guess it's been getting a lot, you've been getting a lot of press and maybe many influencers. So um, you're starting to really dominate in that digital ecosystem. Um, but I love the name, right? Like no BS, but it, you know, it doesn't have to be a curse word. It can stand for no bad stuff. Right. Um, so why is that um, message important to you? It is really important for two things. And I'll start with a simple explanation. The, the one thing that I realized when we were starting um, this new brand is that the the landscape is so cluttered. Like the, there's so many, you know, beauty brands out there. It's not just like the very big traditional brands, but a lot of like new indie brands popping everywhere. And, and it gets confusing for consumers. And as a brand, it gets really hard to stand out. So the first thing it was like, okay, we need a brand that stands out. So we felt that name, you know, because of the play of words and it does mean no bad stuff, but also no bullshit was one way of like standing out. And at least, you know, raising our hand and saying, we're here. So that was a simple, like pragmatic one, you know, first explanation. And then the second one, which is more uh, around of the, the values of the brand has to do with what I really wanted the, the brand to stand for from a lifestyle point of view. So after being more than 12 years in the beauty industry, I really realized that there's a lot of BS um, you know, in it, <laughs> and it's and it starts with like the 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 most tangible stuff, like the ingredients. You know, you you see products that are marketed as like the next big thing, but when you read the ingredient list, you realize there's toxic stuff in it, and, and people don't even know. And, and and by toxic, I mean things that can cause hormone uh, disruptions or things that can even be cancerous, things that are really harsh on your skin and that can cause inflammation, irritation. So there's there was a lot of like bad stuff physically in the product and then the amount of bs within the industry surrounding like the marketing tactics how for years it's been about portraying these amazing you know looking models that and, and that beauty standard that is really unattainable and it's not representative of what a real woman normal you know woman is uh, the fact that it was an inclusive and i know you know the the industry has been you know, doing a lot of improvement on that area, but still it was only very recent where you would only see the 
similar type of people with this, you know, women with the same type of body type, hairstyle, and skin color, unfortunately, and, and backgrounds. And, and, and that I thought it was BS too. And then you get, you know, even more deeper into like the, the pricing structure and how, you know, the consumer ends up paying a pink tax because it's a, it's a, it's a feminine product that maybe it's the same formula that you would find in a male uh, oriented product, but because it's for women, they price it higher or, or all of the built in, you know, marketing budgets and celebrity endorsements that, that, that brands need to pay that, that it was pretty much the traditional way of marketing, but I thought you had to stop. So when, uh, when, uh, when we started developing the brand, I was like, I want a brand that's about a lifestyle without BS. And, and, and obviously it starts with the product itself, but it's also about the marketing, how we do customer service, how do we talk to our clients and how do we encourage people to live their lives? And, and, and that's another big, uh, I guess, part of the brand that it's not just about the products that you put on your skin, but the lifestyle that you do. So, so we have it in our, in our brand manifesto. We always say, if it's BS, let it go. Whether it's a, uh, it's a unhealthy relationship, an impossible Pinterest project, or a frenemy, or that, you know, person that has bad vibes and, 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 and makes you feel down after you hang out with them. So it's about letting go of all of that, you know, negativity and, and, and negative energy and welcoming what really serves you. That's going to really make an impact on, on your health and your skin too. Well, plus, plus the products, obviously. So I'm curious about what um, kind of impact COVID has had on the business and the way that you're communicating, because um, you are primarily a direct-to-consumer brand, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, tell, tell me about like what's changed for the brand or what hasn't changed during this. Yeah, I mean, a lot has changed. And for the way we, I guess, relate to our consumers, we want to be as close as possible and kind of like learn together how we can, you know, do serve them better, basically. And one of the things we started doing is we started uh, sending uh, emails. I actually yes, just yesterday sent 50 to 50 uh, of our most loyal consumers and personal emails asking them what they do, you know, how are they coping with it, just to learn more. How can we fit better within their new normal? And so that was the first thing we did. Let's try to learn how this is impacting our consumers and how can we do better for, for them. And, and everybody in my team is also doing that, like direct communication with our customers. As far as the more mass communication, our ads and the, the campaigns that we have running, we obviously are shifting gears and, 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 and promoting and the, you know, what could be good about no BS within this, um, I guess, situation that we're all in. So obviously highlighting, you know, how a self-care routine, it's important. And I know it sounds cliche, but I personally, on the first week that, that we worked from home, you, I worked on my PJs and I was, you know, with my laptop in bed. And then I looked at the clock and I hadn't even had, had breakfast and, and my, my hair was a mess, my face was a mess and I couldn't care because, you know, no, nobody's watching. But I, it quickly became overwhelming. And then I was like, okay, the day and night are together. And the, like, it was, I felt, you know, really bad really quick. So then I really dramatically shifted my, what I was doing and said, okay, I'm going to stick to a routine. And I, and then I woke up at the time that I was supposed to, uh, like I always do if I had to go to work. 
And then, then I started doing my, my skincare routine and I even started applying makeup a little bit, not, you know, full on makeup, but that immediately lifted my mood. And then I said, you know what, it, it might be even better because I get to wear like a face mask in the middle of the day and nobody really knows. So by doing that, it, it really changed my, my dynamics. I felt more productive, more awake, more, uh, I guess, positive and upbeat so so sharing kind of like those stories and communicating to people that it's not about okay we we really want to sell skincare obviously we're a business we do want to sell skincare but it's about why you know why consumers need skincare in times like this and a lot of it you know you do have to take care of your skin and make sure it's healthy but a lot of it has to do with with your mood and and taking that time to to taking you know care of yourself really really makes a difference and so so that's how we shifted our message and then also sharing a little bit of uh i guess hacks and tips like that like for instance this is kind of obvious but we forget when you wash your hands so often and you start using these alcohol-based products like the hand sanitizers and 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 you're lysoling everything and and your hands get really really dry and and dry cracked skin is is dangerous because bacteria and unfortunately the virus can can get in quicker and and easier so we started giving away a body moisturizer which is great for the hands um so that when you wash your hands you also apply a little bit of moisturizer and that acts as a barrier on your skin so that was another thing and then um, from a business point of view, because we, are, you know, the majority of our business is online direct to consumer through our website, we actually haven't seen a big change. It, we're still um, selling just like actually with a little bit of an uplift versus pre-COVID. And, and I guess it's because people that maybe used to go to a store to buy their skincare now have to do it online and they're open to trying new brands. So on that end, we're really blessed that our business is still pretty much alive and kicking and, and growing, actually. It's, it really is so fascinating to observe different businesses um, and how this has impacted them. Like my, my business, um, I built my agency to be a virtual business 13 years ago, because that was just sort of the style of work I wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, being a virtual business is just part of who we are. So as an agency, that wasn't not challenging. You know, our work continues and we actually plan to grow during this time period. But then talking to, you know, um, brands with uh, brick and mortar, right, or with lots of inventory, yeah. then the inventory can't move out of the warehouse quickly because of COVID restrictions, right, um, yeah. or being direct to consumer, right, there's, there's just so many different um, scenarios, so many different challenges. Um, what I found is like the community and support between competitors has been really incredible in beauty, um, people sharing ideas, sharing recommendations. Yeah. So that's been incredible to watch. Um, but, you know, to, to, turn to a little bit of a lighter side of our show. Um, your fans wrote in questions that they'd like us to ask you. Um, so some of these might not be COVID related um, okay. and some of them um, will be a little more lighthearted. Um, so the first question um, from Emily Borber, 2003, um, she wants to know um, what's, your favorite to sp- what's your favorite way to spend your time when you're not working? My favorite way to spend my time is at the beach. I live in Miami, 
<laughs> so, and I grew up in, in Venezuela, going to the beach every weekend. So I'm definitely a, a beach person. And every weekend, unfortunately not now, but pre-COVID, I used to go to the beach and I'm, and I'm really into um, water sports. So wakeboarding, kite surfing, paddleboarding, anything that has to do with the ocean, I love it. And I just feel like it's like a mini break, mini vacation, and it really energizes me. I don't know if it's the the salt water or the sun, but it, it is by far my favorite thing to do. Um, and then um, someone else asks, um, the no BS attitude, how does that factor into your company's culture? Everywhere. So we actually, uh, you know, try and, and live it ourselves and, and really put our, all of our ideas and, and projects and plan to the test. So our, our main quote is that if it's BS, let it go or that we're severely allergic to BS. So whenever we're working on it and we feel like mm, we're not sure, it doesn't feel right or, you know, it's getting too complicated. We're like, okay, that's BS. Bye. And we're all constantly saying, is this BSE or not? And if we're even doubting, we don't do it. And, and it helps. It really does because you, you, you'd be surprised how you quickly, you know, when, when you have your own company, how you quickly get overwhelmed by a gazillion things you want to do. And obviously there's not enough time in the day or people that can, can do that effectively. So a lot of my work as a, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO of a, of a small company is to get rid of stuff that doesn't really add value. And I get, I guess that that test of if the, is this a bit BSE or you know or is it really awesome always helps because the moment we doubt it we just don't do it and move on. So, um, what has been your leadership style now that your whole team is working from home? Uh, what's changed or what hasn't changed for you in the way that you're leading your team? Well, obviously, uh, we are doing everything virtually uh, and we, we have to be a little bit more disciplined now in how we communicate with each other. We were pretty much an informal company, all working in a small space together, open space. So we were pretty much, you know, just talking to each other openly and, 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 and just interrupting everybody all day for sharing ideas and just basically working out loud. Now we had to schedule like daily um, little co connect via Slack or Zoom uh, so that we say hello to each other and, you know, kind of like share what, what are we working on? What are your struggles? Where does anybody need help? Uh, so that has been the main, main difference. And then the second, I would say, uh, we've become also more disciplined in the projects that we do and the ones that we don't. So we had to go, you know, go through a list of things that we were doing and, and, and decide what we're gonna put in the back burner for now and what are we gonna focus on that's really gonna help us, uh, you know, go through this crisis and, 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 and the stuff that really has the short-term impact versus the, the stuff that maybe is a nice thing to do, but it can wait. Right, I went through that list a few weeks ago and um, when you sit down to make that list, it's not hard to see what's not important, right? Mm -hmm. Even though the, all the ideas in my head, they feel super important when I made that list of like now or later, I'm like, no, obviously these are the nows, the laters yeah. can wait. Mm-hmm. Well, Diana, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and for being willing to do our podcast recording over Zoom, since this is um, new for us. 
Um, and for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Diana. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.